0: to learn your cliches you're gonna have to study them you're gonna have to know them
1: well you know you go out there and you give 110 percent and you want to play good and you know you hope you play good i think we play pretty good tonight well you know there's no i in the word team and this is a team effort 10, five touchdown! oh man you know you just gotta play one game at a time and go out there and give 110 percent all right play ball.
0: Hi, you lovely ladies and groovy gentlemen, and thanks for spending some minutes with the 66th episode of Scoring at the Movies, the every-other-Thursday-look-back-at-sports films. Don't worry yourself sick about whether or not we'll spoil Free Solo. We will. I'm the guy who has never climbed a mountain, and probably never will, Ryan Ellis. And here's my chat partner, who still has to be taught how to hug, Chris DiGregorio. (laughs) Coming from anybody else, Ryan, I would be almost
1: insulted by the still-trying-to-learn-how-to-hug thing, but you are renowned for your hugging prowess so i have to accept the criticism
0: one of the big losses of the pandemic is i can't hug people other than bev but i'll say because that's a reference of course to this movie free solo if a man has to be forced to hug sonny mccandless then that man is unreachable (laughs) yeah i mean that's true you said it's one of the great losses of the pandemic
1: I feel like it's one of the things that's made me particularly suited <laughs> to pandemic life is the inability to physically interact with other human beings, like aside from my wife, of course. It kind of got me worried about halfway through this movie when they were trying to like clearly probe a little bit into Alex's mindset where he's talking about his family didn't hug. He never heard anyone say the word love in reference to him because his mother only spoke French, so she says say je t'aime. But he has trouble expressing emotion in Anyway, as we see in this movie, and he doesn't understand how to hug and he had to teach himself how to do it as I'm ticking off the mental boxes about how his upbringing matches my own. I'm thinking, "Uh oh, <laughs> now I'm 40 and I'm still learning this, but uh oh, <laughs> so I had a little sympathy for him, I got to say. But yeah, he needs to put a little work into that communication skill set for sure.
0: You have better emotional reachability than he seems to in this movie and i think he does come a ways before it's all said and done because they get a house together and i was just reading a few days ago because i wanted to find out more about this guy there isn't that much online to find out but they did get married just this past september so obviously they worked out because that's three years more than three years after the big climb in this movie and they were together before the big climb so i'm guessing it's about five years they've been together maybe more yeah and it's worked out long term after all Against the odds. He definitely comes
1: a ways, and you get that through the movie. Scenes early on in the movie have him being totally unable to communicate any kind of emotion to his girlfriend. And then by the end of it, he's telling her that he loves her and he appreciates her after he finishes his last climb. But at the point when they're having a conversation in this movie, and she's like, I just want to know that my part in your life gives you some kind of pause before you go and almost certainly kill yourself in some kind of extreme stunt. And he's like, oh, no, that doesn't bother me at all. No, of course not. <laughs> Your existence doesn't stop me from risking life and limb. No, of course not. Dude, <laughs> you're going to go do this free climb, at, I think at that point in the movie, who was supposed to be doing it the next day, right? In that first abortive attempt. At least say something to soothe her before you go and do this very stupid thing. And then have this deep discussion later if you want. But man, oh man, that guy has no ability whatsoever to offer a little bit of human compassion to somebody else. Even when he's talking to his buddies about their shared acquaintances slash sometimes close friends dying doing this stuff. Oh, man, that sucks. They're gone. All right, I'm going to go do some pull-ups now. (laughs) Okay, wow. All
0: right. Alex was tested for fearful stimuli, they showed during the movie. Yeah. And he has a decreased response to it. So he is fearless. He's indestructible, but also fearless. We use that expression in life so often, but this guy actually is that thing. But maybe that's why he also doesn't seem to have a whole lot of connectivity to people. He doesn't have Asperger's, I don't think, although they say his dad did. Or maybe I just took a note thinking he did. Did they actually say he did? I think so, right? His dad passed away, it sounds like, some years ago. But the way
1: that Alex's mom described it is his dad had the same kind of fixated... She calls it monomania. His dad was fixated on traveling in a way that Alex is fixated on climbing. So she says in 2020, his father would have been put
0: on the spectrum that's why i wrote that down right that's what it was
1: yeah there's no indication that alex is autistic in any way shape or form i think it's just he is singularly focused on one thing and has been his entire life it probably is in no small part because of his father's particular set of circumstances if you are raised by a parent that is literally incapable of expressing emotion and only capable of fixating on a given thing Right. And in his father's case, that might have been travel, but I would bet dollars to donuts because I think Alex almost says as much in this movie. It's a shame my dad didn't get to see where I came because he was such a driving force in my climbing development when I was young. I bet you if you've got that mindset that his father had and you're like, oh, my son likes this thing, that becomes a singular focus. Okay. This is the thing that my son and I are going to do. And you inadvertently, probably just sort of pass that mindset onto your son. Alex took it to the nth degree and it just became his literal world, but I can see how that can happen. How he was brought up was to aspire to be the best and the best and the best. The number of times I went through this mental checklist watching this movie and thinking about the kinds of things that Alex describes his upbringing to be and matching it to my own... I am nothing but a ball of fear and anxiety. So I do not share Alex's amygdala. Was it amygdala? The part of the brain that they scan? Amygdala. Amygdala. Thank you. Yeah. I'm thinking like Princess Amidala slash amygdala. <laughs> that has almost been exhausted by him doing so much crazy stuff over the years that it doesn't give him a thrill or fear impulse anymore whereas I'm the opposite. But I can sympathize with the messaging that he received growing up. I don't know about you, but I think it was very similar to what I heard my entire life. And my response to that was basically to want to like shrivel up and die when I was a teenager or early adult. He went the other way and he just used it to fuel a very specific desire to the point Mm -hmm. where doing this insane stuff just doesn't seem insane to him anymore. It scares me to think what it must take to get this guy frightened now.
0: I don't think he's admitting it, but it seems like love scares him. But then he did marry the woman, and he moved in with her during the movie. Marriage came many years later, but still. Oh, by the way, you didn't open a beer, but I see you just drank from one, and we're well into this anyway. What are you drinking there? My standard go-to at this
1: point, anyway, Ebb and Flow Sour okay. Beer. We've got a little delay going, getting off
0: to the start, so I decided to beat you to the punch. Okay. So it was screened at several festivals, and then Death Wish was released by National Geographic, so that's why it's on Disney Plus right now, that's how we both saw it, and that was in the fall of 2018. It was a marvelous success because $29 million is a lot of money for a documentary. It was 109th that year. Black Panther is number one. Creed two, which we covered a year or two ago, whatever it was, was 28th. And it won the Oscar for Best Documentary. Pretty good choice. RBG was a nominee. That just recently got put on Netflix. So the one about Ruth Bader Ginsburg maybe was a more important, well, definitely was a more important movie than this is. But this was shot so well. It's a good story. So I have no problem with that winning. The audience seemed to like it. And it also went six for six at the Emmys. All six nominees for the Emmys, it won them. And the critics liked it. 97% of them said, yeah, for an average of 8.2 out of 10 and 93% of audiences. That's pretty great for a documentary. And we've covered, what, four now? Documentaries over the last couple of years alone. Each of them have been pretty good. I wouldn't say this is my favorite, but this is easily the most impressive from a technical standpoint, and the best looking. The first time I saw this movie was on an iPad on a plane with Bev when we were going on vacation, and it was still great to watch it. We saw Mirror that way, too. The other one that Jimmy Chin, the co-director, did with, I think his wife, Elizabeth Chai Vassarelli, I believe they did that one as well, together. They're married, the co-directors and Oscar winners. So we saw both these movies in the worst way you can, which is a tiny screen, (laughs) but then I got to see this on the 42-inch TV upstairs last week. And it's much better that way. This would have been a hell of a movie to watch in IMAX. Maybe it was released that way, I don't know. I assume you liked it, right?
1: Oh yeah, I like this movie a lot. I think it does a lot of things well. As you said, the technical and cinematic aspect of it is just stunning. But they don't do a lot of talking about Jimmy's personal life, and I would guess...
0: You mean Alex, right? You said Jimmy, but that's the co-director. Jimmy is on screen. The co-director, the Asian guy, is on screen quite a bit. He's probably the second lead. Well no, Sonny is. So you meant Alex anyway, you were saying.
1: Before I get there, I wanted to ask you, did you say this movie was titled Death Wish?
0: I called it that. Oh, okay. I was, I was hoping <laughs> it was. That's a fake name I gave it.
1: Hey, Ma, can I have free solo this mountain? No <laughs> dice. This ain't over.
0: <laughs>
1: as soon as you said that, I'm like, Charles Bronson's free climbing El Capitan just went screaming through my head and I couldn't stop it, so I had to say it.
0: Fair enough. No, that was my made-up title for it.
1: I mean, it makes perfect sense. One of the things I appreciated about it was the attempt to delve into his psyche a little bit to try to examine why the hell would anybody do this? Because
0: your instinctive reaction, I think, as a viewer, is to say, well, you're a nut job. You're asking for it. You're asking for it. Something's wrong with you. If you die, it's not a tragedy. If he dies next week and we find out, I'll feel bad for his now wife and his friends and family and his fans, but it's not a tragedy if he dies. This is so optional. He says exactly that, right? If I die...
1: But he says it in the most callous way possible when he's discussing past relationships or past friendships. And they say, Oh, you know what? If you die, I'm going to be so morose and broken up. And he says his internal monologue is, No, you won't. You'll be sad for like two seconds. You'll go meet somebody else. (laughs) You're not wrong in that human beings typically have a way of healing over scars and moving on. Yes. But if you're taking that mindset, you're really glossing over in a really callous way the kind of mental trauma and emotional trauma that you go through before you get to that point, right? As the survivor in that relationship.
0: Plus they care. The filmmakers care about him. They're worried that he might die because they're distracting him by shooting him. That sounds bad. Of course, we know. They're shooting with cameras. (laughs) Don't shoot him. He's already putting himself in danger. I winged him, boss. I winged him. He's still going. (laughs) He's not going to climb, or he could climb while bloody. Yeah, this is too easy now. I need an
1: added challenge. Can you just take some pot shots at me while I'm 1,500 feet up the
0: 6,200 foot mountain? No, 3,200 feet, right? That plays into my nutshell, incidentally. So, free solo in a nutshell. Practice makes. Ah! As in, he died, and that's awful. Or, Tom Cruise, you, sir, can eat your heart out. Tom Cruise is a daredevil. That man's crazy. But he is no Alex Honnold, who has got guts for days and doesn't seem to, as we said, have fear about any of this. And I guess maybe Cruise doesn't either. But as impressive as what Cruise does, this guy's climbing El Capitan, Half Dome, and Mount Watkins. All of those are in Yosemite, California, so inland. I was looking this up on the map. That's the Triple Crown in rock climbing. And it was June 3rd, 2017, when he became, and according to Wikipedia, this is still true, three plus years later, the only person to free solo El Capitan and did it in three hours and 56 minutes. And I have a question for you. When you're free soloing like this, because if you're on a cable, they could pull you up. What if something happened and you had to stop? Where do you go? What do you do? Especially if you're halfway
1: up. I wondered that same thing, right? Because you're not surviving a 1500 foot fall on that jagged slope because you're going to like ragged all your way down the mountain too. You're not just going to fall cleanly until a pasture. What kind of impressed me about this actually, I didn't realize was the nature of this type of climb, right? Because in my head, as somebody that's gone up rock walls a half dozen times in my life climbing, but I've never done anything even close to this ropes or otherwise you grab a handhold, you pull yourself up, you place your feet, which is the most, basic way of describing that it's like describing pool as saying you hit a ball and you hit another ball and it goes in the hole it's like the broadest description without any nuance there's various points where he's grabbing on one thing and pulling on it while he's pushing with his feet or literally wedging himself bodily into crevices right and right you see him sort of millipeding his way up tiny little bit by bit i would imagine that the best case scenario that you just described is that you're near one of those crevices and if you blow out a knee and you can't put pressure on a leg because you need all four limbs or you're not getting up this mountain, maybe you can just sort of shoehorn your body into one of those crevices in such a way that you can just sort of remain there until somebody can either belay a rescue party down or I can't imagine they can helicopter. It's too close to the rock face, right? Right. I guess you'd have to have a rescue party come down on ropes. And the question is, can you hang on to the rock face long enough for them to reach you if you're too injured? To do anything. There's various points where he stumbles across people that were apparently sleeping halfway up El Capitan, and they're strapped into the bunk and stuff. You said it, and they talk about in the movie, this film crew is super concerned about distracting him at any point, because your concentration and focus needs to be so intense. But what if some other idiot just happens to be climbing on ropes, of course, goes flying by him halfway down the mountain, and it distracts him long enough, and he slips, and he dies? Or if a bird gets startled and flies by your head they do put it in some very concrete terms right it's like trying to have a gold medal Olympic level performance every time or you die that's how good you have to be it's almost nauseating to me to think of it like that the barest slip up and you're done it's bananas well
0: you talked about a minute ago wedging himself into a crevice or something like that or even just a tiniest little area that could certainly help if it was a matter of I have to buy time because I have to stop because I'm hurt or something But the thing I just thought of a second ago when you talk about distractions is even the film crew doing the best they can not to get in his way or distract him. What if one of the drones, because they had to have used drones in this a lot. We see guys hanging off the mountain. They're holding a camera. So there's plenty of that for sure. But they must have used a bunch of drones too. What if one of those malfunctions and you want to get close Mm -hmm. to him for the shot? You know, he would want that too. And then suddenly it bumps him or hits him or whatever. His focus is probably such that that wouldn't make him fall. but. Nevertheless, these are all factors. It also plays in what I've said before about how I like documentaries. I always have. Big fan. Well, at least I have for maybe 10 or 12 years when I met Bev 10 years ago. We've seen lots of documentaries at festivals. You and I have now covered so many documentaries for this channel. But the minute you turn the camera on something, you're going to change what it does. Even if it's an animal that has no idea what a camera is, it might react differently. It probably will react differently. Alex probably won't act that differently. But then you've got the physical factor of them being in the way. They also maybe unintentionally would pressure him they're not trying to i shouldn't put it that way but then he's going to feel more pressured to actually do this although he does bail that first time like we talked about and then a long time passes months go by they move in together in that nice house he also hurts both his ankle at one point and sonny who is a rock climber too with him she's more of an amateur obviously than he is but she does some of this too she messed up with one of the ropes then he fell hurt his back and he even says in the movie he thought about breaking up with her which at least is honest but pretty harsh but he does try one point and doesn't keep going. So obviously he doesn't feel pressured to do this just because a movie's being made about him.
1: There's actually a scene with the filmmakers, and I think they express this, at least in their body language. But it's also relieving as a viewer to almost see him do that. It's like, oh, I'm 400 feet up, but I'm just not feeling it for whatever reason, camera crew or otherwise. I'm going to call it rather than get another 1,500 feet and realize that I'm just not mentally there and then I'm screwed. He might be a little, by our standards anyway, a little crazy maybe, or he's lacking some basic fear instinct that most people have.
0: Well, we know he's lacking that instinct, yeah, because they
1: tested him. But he's not suicidal anyway. No, I wouldn't say that. I don't think that. This is like that concrete proof of that. It's funny that you mentioned the mere act of watching him changes his behavior. It's true. It's actually like a law of physics that watching particles changes the way they behave. It's true at a very microscopic level, but it's true of human beings too. And I think what we see in this movie is initially he is so confident that all of those early training sequences and all of their discussions about how they're going to do this thing, he doesn't seem overly concerned about their camera placement, except for one or two of the tight and more difficult aspects of the climb where he doesn't want them right there. But by and large, he's just like, yeah, do what you want. It doesn't really bother me. And then when you get to it, he aborts and he comes back later. He realizes having all these people around, it just changes the way I feel about it and the pressure that's involved. And so when they come back and they film it the second time, they do have drones, but they're not as tight to him anymore. They have cameras, but they're at a distance and super telescoped, like a six-foot telescopic lens on those things. And I think they had one or two guys on the mountain ridge as well. It sounded like they were kind of hidden around corners where they weren't in his eye line or anything, or he wouldn't know that they were there. They clearly came to the realization that As much as he might be an epically confident and capable guy for something that is so difficult that no one's ever tried it or successfully tried it before, even for him, that added little bit of pressure was just too much. It tipped the scales too far. It was just Mm. too much pressure. So it's an interesting character study. I felt almost as bad for the filmmakers themselves as I did for, well, maybe not quite as bad as I did for his girlfriend. But watching some of these guys just be mentally anguished, what do you do? You feel emotionally and morally conflicted because what if you're the driving force to a friend of yours dying because he feels he has to complete something that is uncompletable, perhaps, and he dies as a result?
0: You'd feel guilty whether you should or not. Even if it's not your fault at all, you'd still feel guilty. I would. would. I guess all of them in one way or another have to be rock climbers, too. Jimmy, of course, is because he's in Meru and directed it and all that, like I said but they become rock climbers whether they were when this started or not because they're literally on the rock as well. They're all cabled in, but still, they're on the mountain themselves, which is a bit of a danger for them too. They don't ever address that. But it wouldn't have been stunning if one of them got hurt or worse. Tommy Caldwell's in this movie. He's an acclaimed climber. We see him on camera here and there. I think he's still alive. Obviously, Alex still is. I had to look that up, but he is. They are. He's 35 now, so I don't think he keep doing this forever. I don't think you can do this when you're well into your 40s, but he is married, so maybe he's going to I don't know. You think he ever will pull back from doing this kind of stuff if he wants to? He doesn't seem I like don't know he... If he can. Yeah, he's a little bit obsessed. I think this is just a person that doesn't know
1: how to experience life without pushing himself to the utmost limit of what he's capable of. You see him smile, basically the only genuine smile I think in the entire movie, when he's at the top of El Capitan after completing the solo climb. If you need that, In order to feel true joy, what do you do? I'm sure it's a lot like professional athletes, and not even from the competition perspective, I don't think, but just from the adulation perspective. The adrenaline and dopamine rush of having this many people interested in you and rooting for you, and then it's all gone. Mm -hmm. What is that like? The difference is you can, I guess, pursue other things. You still have an avenue to be in the public eye. Maybe it's not as intense a need, depending on your personality. I don't know. But in this case, it's literally life or death when he's doing this stuff. So if you keep having to push the envelope all the time, eventually the envelope is going to push back. You're just going to be done. And that's why you see this litany of people that were his colleagues in free climbing, free soloing anyway, that all just died. And I'm sure there are people that do it with some regularity and have survived to the point where they give it up. It's just a question of when, not if you're going to die doing this thing, if you keep doing it indefinitely.
0: Yes. As you get older and maybe you do start breaking down a little bit yeah. and all those kinds of factors. It does remind me of that line in another movie we've covered. Not really a sports movie either. Well, this actually is obviously an athlete, but it's not a competitive sports movie the way we think of it. Baseball, basketball, football, hockey, boxing, on and on and on. But rock climbing is a sport in its own right. Rounders is what I'm referring to, though. The line Damon has in that great voiceover where life is on the wire. The rest is just waiting, and that may be a fitting choice of words for this movie in a way because that expression applies, but there are no wires with his famous climb, although he does climb with ropes and cables and all that kind of stuff most of the time that it looks a bit. He practices the thing. This is a movie about both science and art. There's obviously an art to what he's doing and a skill that he has that not everyone can possibly have, but the reason why you practice and practice and practice until you go, ah, hopefully you never go, ah you practice it so much so when you're getting on the mountain it is a matter of okay this goes here it's like putting together a lego set oh yeah so there is an art of course and a talent that most people will never have even if they want to have that talent but you also do apply a certain amount of muscle memory and science to do this because you practice the climb on cables i assume the entire thing probably many times a hundred
1: percent many times you see the notebooks where he's sketching the handholds that you need at various points he's writing down and you can see him with his body miming out the motions of himself climbing up the face as he's writing these down the whole climb from start to finish is choreographed and if you looked at the rock face as he's climbing it you can see little chalk markings at various points because some of these things are just the tiniest little edges that if you're just looking at the rock face you wouldn't be able to see so they use the chalk to kind of highlight it a little bit Now, whether that's him or a series of climbers, and this is an established climbing path, I don't know, but it is. It's 100% choreographed. And there's a lot of things that I think this movie does pretty well. And one of them is to try to rationalize to some degree what they're doing in that, yeah, it's super dangerous and we are all experienced climbers and we acknowledge it and none of us would try to do it. But at the same time, it's not just him waking up one morning and saying, yeah, I'm going to go free climb El Capitan because I feel like it. It's years, literal years of preparation and practice and study that go into it. Even that Tommy Caldwell guy that before Alex was a well-known climber, I guess Tommy was his predecessor to some degree. Hearing him talk was interesting because he had that kind of moral conundrum, right? This is a very good friend of mine who's going to do something that I think is just crazy, but he's going to do it. And if he's going to do it, Am I better off helping him and watching him die knowing I assisted in that or letting him do it, watching him die and thinking, oh, maybe my help would have been the difference maker? Can you imagine being in that position? No. Nope. It's so crazy. It would be tough to think about if it's just a stranger asking you for help. But if it's somebody you care about and you know and they're asking for this assistance and these are the circumstances, what a crazy moral knot that ties you in, eh? If you were to come to me and say, hey, Chris, I'm going to go free base parachute dive off of the CN Tower and I want you to train me over the next six months. Yeah. I'm going to do it, but you may as well train with me like Rocky montage style. I'd be like, ah, no, and you're like, All right, I'm going to do it anyway. And then I watch you plummet
0: to your death. It's nuts. Yeah. It's lose, lose for the friends. Yeah. If that exactly does happen right. to him, if he does die or even gets badly hurt, just like it is for Sonny, because she obviously loves the guy. She's with him for however long it is in the movie. I think it's maybe supposed to be years. It's certainly many months. But when she leaves... It does feel like there's a little bit of manufactured drama. I don't think she's faking that she's upset. But I wondered at one point in the middle of the movie... Which is like most movies, the weakest part. Because you want the setup to be excellent. And it is. And you want the climb to be the ending. And it is. And it's great. But the drama in the middle between the two of them... I buy it. I'm not saying they faked it. I guess I did say they made it up. I just meant... It almost seemed like it was a... It really happened type thing. But then... They made it look like it wasn't quite that way. If that makes any sense. But Sonny leaving seems to be legitimate at the same time she just can't watch him maybe kill himself you said what you would do if i decided to do something stupid or another friend what have you but what if it was your spouse they're not married but they might as well be that's a whole different thing because it's like in rocky 2 when adrian's upset and Pauly is yelling at her before she goes into labor i love him you don't you can walk away same kind of thing here sonny is adrian and alex is rocky are you talking about her leaving before he did the first attempt
1: or the last no, attempt? No, she
0: leaves before the last attempt or the, I guess, the second attempt, the successful one. And that might have legitimately happened that way, but it felt to me like that could have just been something that they made it seem like. Because documentaries, I wouldn't say are dishonest about this, but you edit them like you edit any other movie. And something that didn't happen literally then, I love The King of Kong, one of my favorite and certainly most enjoyable documentaries. That is fun. But I've heard since that that story was really not what we saw. Yeah. Billy, whatever his name is, Billy Mitchell, is not that much of a dick. He seems like he is in the movie, but that's a good film for you, I guess. I'm just wondering if that's necessarily how it all went down. The relationship is fascinating, though, because he is with this girl who seems like she could be a Hollywood actress, a supermodel, whatever, tomorrow. She is so attractive. Before we started recording, we talked about how I watched the Oscar clip. It's pretty dull. The speech is boilerplate. But Elizabeth Vassarelli, Jimmy Chin, and then the other people all go up on stage to get the Oscar together. And Sonny is... stunningly beautiful the director elizabeth herself she's a beautiful woman too but he's out of his league even though he's a cute guy alex is and he's also alienating her so she must really love him there's just a complicated relationship The
1: relationship is interesting not the least of which is because of his clear emotional stuntedness and i say this as a guy like i said i sympathize with this guy i feel like we share a lot in common along those lines you're not so nearly
0: I... as bad as he is though
1: no i don't think so either but i can see common roots in us i guess so she's very understanding in a lot of ways, trying to meet him halfway and help him develop as a human being rather than just demanding you have to be more effusive and outgoing with your emotions and stuff like that. But when we first were introduced to their relationship, it made me wonder a little bit because they describe it as her meeting him at a book signing. The fact that she met him at a book signing made me wonder, was she a little bit of a super fan? She redeemed, not that she had to, the relationship was a little bit redeemed in my eyes by the end of it. I never got the impression, even when she left, that it was out of anger, at that moment anyway. There were moments in the movie where he's clearly made her mad, and I think not as often as I would expect, given how he behaves sometimes. But at that point, it was just like, I can't watch you do this, or maybe she had to go somewhere. The first time he went to climb it, she was in the van in the park, because he walks back after he gives up, and she's there. The second time she leaves, she's like six hours away or something. I don't know if she was just going back to their place in Vegas.
0: Well, speaking of money, Vegas... I wondered how he got his money to live. Now, he lives in a van through so much of this movie till they get a house together. I
1: live in a van. Apparently for
0: 10 years. Down by the river. I wrote that note down to you. I live in a van down by the river. Chris Farley, live on. But anyway, I wondered how he made his money. And according to what I saw online, it's through sponsorship. Now, he doesn't need much money to live when he's in a van, but that is souped up. And he does have to eat. And he has to do some things. He has to pay for the cables and whatnot that they use when they're not free soloing. So I guess it's just that, but he also needs so little that I guess he can live on a matter of a few thousand dollars a year, whatever it is. And obviously through this kind of fame and this movie and everything, an Academy Award that it got, he didn't get the award, but still he must be set. Did you get the line that he said to that student at one point when
1: he's speaking to the class about his philanthropy, which incidentally sounds like a really good organization Mm. that he's established where he donates a third of his income to kudos to him for that a hundred percent, but the kid asked him, how much money do you have or how much money do you make? His response was, to paraphrase, imagine a moderately successful dentist. That's a really good answer. Good for you. Not a bad living either. They could do pretty well. That's pretty darn good. If you're a successful dentist, good on you. It kind of surprised me to think that he would make that much money, even off of sponsorships, because until the advent of this movie, when it first released two years ago, I had no clue that rock climbing, I understand that there's rock climbing competitions and stuff like that, but this kind of free climb thing was popular enough that you could garner sponsorships to make yourself a good bit of money
0: Mm -hmm. outside
1: of any kind of competition. It must be. I'm sure he's not the only one making this money. We saw Tommy Caldwell. We saw a number of other people throughout the movie that were labeled as professional climbers, like that one older dude who was driving around in a... Mini Cooper hatchback type car. Well, you know what? Those things ain't cheap either, so... Not down by the river! No, that Mini Cooper was straight up on the road. It does not have the clearance to get down by the river, but the van was parked <laughs> down by the river in the shots that we saw with Tommy. It's an interesting thing to think that you can pursue a passion as obscure as rock climbing. Now, granted, he's probably one of the top,
0: what, five free climbers in the world. Well, maybe he's number one, but he's climbing out Capitan, he's the only person that's done it even three and a half years later. He's arguably the Babe Ruth of this business. Well, they don't really get into this too much, but I'm guessing that if you shook his hand and he was one of those really hard grip handshakers, he might hurt you. Because obviously his hands have to be extraordinarily strong. He's wiry, he's small, but I bet pound for pound he's as strong as any boxer, the same basic size as him. Every single thing on him is toned. We can't relate to that through the pandemic, especially me, but... (laughs) I played basketball today. I couldn't even get the ball up for a decent shot for a while to loosen up a little bit, but I kept hitting the front of the rim constantly. This guy, I guess, always stays in perfect shape. Didn't he say that the day of the big climb, that he was going to go do some more pull-ups? In other words, I'm going to go back to work. You're not going to take the afternoon off?
1: They said, what next? I'm going to go to the hanging board, I think it is. That thing that he had set up in his van where you can hang by a certain number of fingers to practice your grip strength and forearm Mm. strength. Yeah, bananas. Did you see his feet? I don't know if you have any bunion growth on your foot or anything. Not yet. I'm sure Bev would sympathize with me on this. Bev and I both have very flat feet. And as a result of that, I get a lot of pressure. I apply on my big toes. You get bunion growth around the joint. If your body is putting undue force on a joint that is not really designed to do that, that's not how we evolved, then the bones grow thicker to support that. So if you look at Alex's feet, and again, we saw them a lot in this movie, it's not where his toes met his foot proper that he had those bunions. It was on like the first joint of the toes. And you can understand why when you watch him doing his climbing, the toe holds, and handholds, too for that matter, are so narrow and so thin. He must be applying so much force onto that rock through one tiny joint of his toe that they've grown these enormous bone growth bunions over those tiny joints near the end of his toes as like a compensatory mechanism. That's just what his body's done to adapt. He's evolved. <laughs> He's evolved. He really has. He's an X-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Bunyan?
0: He has an X in his name. <laughs> Captain Bunyan.
1: Aside from the fact that you said he'd never been injured for seven years or something until he met Sonny and then he was injured twice. Come on, man. You put your health and safety in the hands of an admittedly rookie climber. I think accidents are not necessarily out of the realm of possibility. But injuries are not... Just the way his body has adapted as a result of this, it goes to show you what a toll it takes, right? It's kind of like watching basketball players that retire from the NBA watch Charles Barkley just walk around. He hobbles like an 88-year-old man, and he's, Mm. what, 50 years old or something? Because their knees are just destroyed. I guess it's something similar there.
0: Well, Alex is obviously an extraordinary athlete, even though he might pay for that, what you've been talking about, the bone growth and all that kind of thing, fairly soon in his life. But that's the reason to cover this movie. One of the greatest athletes we maybe have ever seen in our podcast so far. 66 episodes in, and this guy is one of the great athletes we'd ever asked for. Yeah. Well, the depiction of the sport is something else. The word awesome is overused in life. <laughs> in this case, it truly fits. Because what visuals? The depiction of the sport, I don't know anything about it. I guess you, don't, you know a little bit more than me by the sounds of it. But it's extraordinary. It's one of the best-looking movies we may ever see for this podcast. Yeah. But it is a mountain-climbing movie, so it ought to be.
1: I like that the camera crew featured in the movie because I think they deserve a lot of credit both for the capturing of the images and also like we talked about earlier with the mental emotional, the courage, yeah. Aside from you thinking it was beautiful and very well shot, it didn't visually affect me all that much until watching him free solo El Capitan at the end. And then some of the shots that they grabbed, particularly the top-down angle shots where you can really get a sense of how steep some of these faces are that he's going up without a rope. It actually made me nauseous. You know, at that point, the way it's been shot and the way it's been built up is that he survives. Even if you haven't seen this, you can kind of guess that because they would have built it up differently if he hadn't survived the final climb, if he died. But just watching it, knowing the stakes and seeing what little stood between him and 3000 feet of nothingness below him, the way they shot it on a 55 inch television, I was nauseated. It would have been, like you had said earlier, a visually spectacular thing to watch in an IMAX screen or something. I probably would have been sick. I got. <laughs> I would have been in a barf bag or something. I don't know if you have that kind of reaction to this stuff. But...
0: I don't. Bev does. She watched it with me. She's watched quite a few of the movies we've done lately with me, and she enjoyed this one, too, like I did and like you did. She's not a fan of heights, so a few times I could hear her squealing, Ugh! kind of noises beside me. It didn't really get to me too much, but if I'd seen it on the huge screen, it might have more so. I said Cruz earlier, well, Mission Impossible, which one is that again? Ghost Protocol, one of my favorite scenes ever. And I've watched it so many times since then, where he climbs the tower in Dubai and nearly falls. Even when I watch it on YouTube on Bev's computer right here, and I've seen it so many times, it's that, Oh my God, he's going to fall and die! And the first time I saw the movie was on a big screen. I don't think it was IMAX, but it was a big screen. And I remember being just absolutely gripped. You know Cruz didn't die. But that's what good drama is about. So, yes, if this had been on a screen that size, I would have probably felt the same way as I did watching a fictionalized crazy thing that Cruz was doing that Alex does in this film.
1: I have two follow-up questions then. Okay. Understanding your reaction to this as a movie, how do you feel, and you just said Bev has a fear of heights, I take it you don't. I wouldn't say I do either, though I get uncomfortable when I start getting up 30, 40 stories up if there's no visible guardrail.
0: Oh, I would if that's the case, Yes.
1: Because I know you as a fairly fearless person in many circumstances, (laughs) up to and including the scariest escape room in the history of escape rooms where Bev almost had a heart attack and you didn't break a sweat. But would this type of physically dangerous sport scare you if you were asked to do this, even with a rope? It was fully safety harnessed in and you were 2,500 feet up looking straight down at nothing. Would that scare you? Yes. I'm just... Yes. Okay. You do have an amygdala. Amygdala. You have a functioning amygdala. Okay. we've established
0: that. Well, if something could actually physically hurt me, then yeah, the escape room's not going to hurt me.
1: Oh, I see. It's it's the fiction of the escape room that just takes away the fear factor. Okay. That's interesting. The second question is, this is something that I've always felt, and I always thought it was something that other people didn't necessarily experience in the same way I... Okay. The way I'm saying that makes it sound like I think I'm Captain Special. It's more like it was a fear that I thought maybe other people didn't experience either. Did you ever have the sense that if you're at the top of a high, it doesn't even have to be like 3,000 feet high, let's say 40 foot high rock face looking down at something. Does the thought ever go through your head? What if I just jumped right now?
0: Yeah, I can use a great example where I work at the CBC. There's an atrium. So we're on the sixth floor. That's quite a ways up. I guess that's probably basically 12 stories because I think every single level is about two stories. Anyway, whatever it is, it's a long way down. When I go on the fourth floor sometimes, it feels like you're a lot closer to the ground. And yeah, so every once in a while I'll lean over the edge and just look and see what's going on. And it's not like I'm ever going to do it or have any desire to, but that flash in your head of, oh God, what if I just slipped? Yeah. Or if there is a chair here and I stood on it for some reason, or if I did have a crazy notion to say, I don't want to live anymore, it wouldn't take anything to die because I would from that height.
1: That was the other thing about this movie that kind of, again, not nauseated me in the same way that that final sequence did, but maybe a little bit uncomfortable is even when they were climbing with ropes after they're done at the top of the mountain, Alex, or sometimes all of them, standing at the edge looking over. Good Lord. And it's not even a suicidal thing.
0: I didn't realize this was a commonly held, I don't know, experience. Instinct? Movie? Instinct, I think it is probably yeah. for people. Not that you want to do it. I don't want to do it. But I've thought about how easy it would be. I guess because I'm a movie fan too, you picture what would be an effective movie scene. <laughs> That would be one way to do it. Have somebody who is suicidal in your movie and for whatever reason he just says, okay, or she, bye. And they just go over that edge and you just see them go. And then of course you depict that they actually fell, stuntmen and all that kind of thing. But I've thought about that before. It would be a fascinating, it's probably been done in a movie before, but just how simple it would be. There's no big drama to it. They do it in the grudge where Bill Pullman falls to his death. He just pitches himself over a balcony. And what's effective about it is how matter of fact it is.
1: If you experience these kinds of heights enough, does that instinct or that thought just go away? maybe it does it just becomes blasé and you just don't even think about it anymore
0: i think it does those guys that used to and probably i guess they still do when they make skyscrapers they don't have i don't think wires on them you see pictures of the guys in the 30s building the empire state building i guess the idea too is you don't look down you stay focused on what you're doing but then all it takes is a strong breeze or you misstep peb gets freaked out when i get on the ladder to set the christmas lights which we did (laughs) just yesterday and that's not that far. I'm not going to die. I'd be hurt. I'd probably break a leg or tear something up if I fell. There you go. You it's asked a me about step heights. <laughs> right. Well, it's also, what is it, maybe six feet in the air beyond that because it's steps up to our front door. Yeah. So I'm decently high in the air and don't have very good grip necessarily, but it doesn't scare me. I don't really think much about it. I'm fairly careful, I think, too. What about the, well, I think I already said the people in this movie, we talked about the score factor. It's not a movie that's inspirational that way, but just the people themselves, the two directors, the two main stars, Alex and Sonny, across the board are beautiful, gorgeous people. This might be the best looking movie we've ever seen in that way, too. So the camera work, but also the people in it, especially The Girlfriend. Wow. If nothing
1: else, it made me feel even more guilty about the way I've lived my life in 2020 than i already felt (laughs) because everybody in this movie is just crazy fit and apparently even his mom who doesn't really factor into the movie but we see her briefly in one interview and is a climber too yeah she's the oldest person to ever climb el capitan Hmm. not free solo but to climb it period with ropes but yeah 66 years old or something I've been using the general 2020 crappiness as an excuse to really let my
0: physical fitness routine go, but this movie just hammered me over the head with how fit all these people are. Dear God. And we released release this episode in December when people are going to be eating more than they already probably have been because it is the holiday season. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy Kwanzaa. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah. Well, I'd give this movie an 8 out of 10 for sure. I could even go higher than that, except I don't really care about the sport that we're watching in this. I'm never going to do it. I can respect it, but it didn't really draw me into what he's actually doing in the sense of, ooh, I might want to do that myself. But it's a very well-made documentary. What do you think about the score? Documentaries, to be honest with you,
1: are harder for me to ever want to score than actual movies because inevitably the director has a very specific message they're trying to get across. And I think this one does very clearly get across how difficult this free solo was and all the planning and difficulty that went into it as much as we've talked about alex this movie also does a good job of demonstrating how intelligent he is and i think you kind of touched on that when you were talking about this being as much a science as it is an art i don't think it can be overstated because it's not an easy thing to try to put into words this kind of impulse right? how do you explain this kind of drive almost suicidal impulse that he seems to have to capture whatever essence out of life that he's trying to capture. If I had that urge and I was trying to explain it to you, I don't think I could do it. He does a reasonably good job of it. And it just goes to show you that he is quite an intelligent guy. Yes. He's well-spoken. He communicates well. He's got a lot going for him physically, mentally, and otherwise, maybe not so much emotionally. (laughs) Although his relationship is in his favor. Good on him. I think 8 out of 10 is probably fair. Much like you, it's not like this movie made me want to do the sport. If anything, it made me realize even more so that I am not made for this sport. It is not for (laughs) me. I'm a tall, gangly guy, so it should be... And like I said, I've been indoor climbing a few times. I'm reasonably okay at it, but good Lord, the things that you see these people do and the level of fitness and endurance that guys like Alex and admittedly the top of the heap in this kind of realm, right? But still... I could never aspire to do that. Certainly not at our respective ages now. I don't think we would ever get anywhere close to this. But man, maybe in 2021, I'll try to do something a little bit more physically demanding. <laughs> get it back, at least get by the bad. summer. I may as well just wallow out the year at this point. Hey, we've got another month going. Let's just see it through to the end and then <laughs> purge clean in 2021.
0: New Year's resolutions. Well, this movie is so active, the next movie we're going to do is Very Sedentary. It's also going to be released on Christmas Eve. Although this is not a Christmas movie. But we're doing this movie because we've noticed the recent hubbub about chess because of The Queen's Gambit, which Bev and I watched in about a week. We don't usually get through shows that fast, but we did with that one. So in two weeks, we'll stretch the boundaries of what a sports movie is again. Rock climbing sort of in this. Well, that's a sport because he's a great athlete. But anyway, we'll stretch those boundaries with Searching for Bobby Fischer, the 1993, I don't know about classic, but pretty good chess movie with a lot of good actors, many of which we didn't know at the time.
1: I propose searching for Derek Fisher, but you, not being a Lakers fan, <laughs> kiboshed that immediately. Went with Bobby Fisher instead.
0: Derek's easy to find. <laughs> He's on ESPN right now. The Academy Award winning short. We look for him. We found him. Okay, well, I'm on Twitter, at MovieFiend51. Uh. Chris is at Scoring, at Movies. And, of course, you can find us anywhere, pretty much, where you get podcasts, wherever you found this one. You'll find the rest, all 66 now. Or, of course, we're on Podbean. That is our provider. Until two weeks when we do chess after doing one of the most physical movies we'll ever watch, one of the least physical movies we ever watch, I'll just say, take your easy, dudes. I know that you will. No Sam Elliott voice this week. Oh, maybe there'll be a little bit about the very end. Take your easy.